That song goes with the message tonight, and we're going to continue in our journey on this matter of spiritual warfare, and we've been transitioned into looking at the particular armor that God's given to us. And since we're fighting against enemies in the spirit world, we need special equipment, equipment that uh, would help us both on the offense as well as the defense. And the passage that we've been focusing on for quite some time with this is found where? Ephesians 6. So let's go there. Ephesians chapter number 6. And God has provided us what Paul refers to here as the whole armor. And the reality is we need all of it. Satan looks for an unguarded area in our lives where he can get a stronghold. And that's why Ephesians chapter 4 verse 27 tells us not to give place to the devil. And one of the ways in which we cannot give place to the devil is to take unto us that whole armor of God. And Paul commands us here by the Holy Spirit, put on the armor, take the weapons, and stand. Stand the ground that God's already won for us. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 6. I invite you to stand with me. We should have this passage memorized if we go through this enough times. And it would do us well. wouldn't hurt us, would it? And look at verse number 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may, may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places." Again, I believe Paul's simply telling us, among other things, we need to do battle with the right enemy here. Verse 13, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, when all of hell is unleashed against you, and you have one of those times in the experience, you may not feel it, but you can recognize Satan is really doubling down. There's been some ground perhaps that's been given and he's coming after you. So he says, uh, take unto you that whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in that evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. We talked about that on Wednesday night, the belt of truth. And tonight we're going to look at this next one and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Thank you. Please be seated. We mentioned the belt of truth. Why is this significant? Well, remember we're in a battle. There's an enemy, Satan. John 8, he's a liar. But the believer who, whose life is controlled, dominated by truth we'll be able to see the devil defeated. The belt, if you remember, it was designed for several things. It held other parts of the armor together. It was an integrating force in the life of uh, the, the, the soldier, and it ought to be within the life of a victorious Christian. 
You see, a man of integrity with a clear conscience can face the enemy really without fear. But the belt also, it secured the sword. And unless we practice the truth, we cannot use the word of truth. Once a lie gets into a life of a believer, everything begins to unravel and fall apart. For over a year, King David, the man after God's own heart, he lied about his sin with Bathsheba. And if you would look at what happened during that year's time, nothing went right. Psalm 32, you can read about it. Psalm 51, and it tells of the price that he paid simply because he would not embrace truth. And so then we move to the breastplate of righteousness. Now, this is a piece of armor that was made of metal plates or chains, and it covered the body from the neck to the waist, both front and back. It was a significant piece. And it symbolizes, and that's the point of this, he's using uh, symbolism to help us understand truth here, that it symbolizes the believer's righteousness in Christ, as well as a righteous life in Christ. That's why, it's, to me, I, I find it interesting, um, not that, again, I planned it to go this way, it's just in the matter of the progression and the speed in which we've done this. This morning's messages, or message was about this matter of righteousness, Christ righteousness. That's what Paul was dealing with in Galatians uh, chapter number three, and this is what the breastplate of righteousness is about. Satan, remember, he's not only an accuser, or liar rather, he is the accuser of the brethren. But he cannot accuse the believer who's living a godly life in the power of the Spirit. Or he cannot accuse with effectiveness. The life we live is either going to fortify against Satan's attacks or it's going to help his case. When Satan accuses the believer... It's the righteousness of Christ that assures the believer of Christ's protection and salvation. So he's speaking here of positional righteousness. We found out this morning when we got saved, we were justified. We were declared righteous. We didn't earn it. We didn't become that because all of a sudden um, our life outwardly or performance-wise changed. No, it was a positional transaction. It was something God did. It was nothing that we could do. We have no ability to bring righteousness into our life. It's a positional righteousness in Christ. But our positional righteousness in Christ, listen, without practical daily righteousness is going to give Satan an opportunity to attack. In other words, you can truly be saved, sins washed, eternal life, forgiveness on your way to heaven and be beat up by Satan every day if we don't get a hold of this matter of practical righteousness. See, Satan cannot take away your salvation. But he can ruin your life. He attempts to do this by keeping us from experiencing all that God has planned for us. 
His aim is to prevent you from realizing the abundant life that God has. That, that full potential that came with the package of salvation. See, one of the ways Satan will do this is by shifting our focus off of the spiritual realm, because you can't see it, and just focus on the physical realm. That's why it's, it's quite unfortunate, but this is why, though, a lot of churches, this is why a lot of Christians, this is why a lot of preachers, they minimize, barely recognize, never emphasize prayer. Because it is about the unseen realm that prayer is affecting. And the mindset sometimes is that of a uh, Martha. I think we we're better off if we can do something instead of just wasting time sitting around doing nothing. And what we're doing is we are doing exactly what Satan wants us to do. And that is put our focus and energy in the wrong place. See, when Satan shifts our focus from the spiritual onto the physical, he's getting you to, to keep your focus on what you can see, what you taste, touch, smell, or hear, rather than on God, rather than even on Satan himself. You'll miss him, what he's up to, and how he's working in our life. And this keeps you from dealing with the root that is manifesting the things you see. So you're going to see, I see a problem there. They didn't do this right. They're wrong here. And all the while you're going to be dealing with fruit and fruit only until you figure out that what you're seeing in the physical realm is simply a manifestation of what has been initiated in the spiritual realm. And tragically, when our focus is in the physical, primarily, we waste valuable days. That turns into weeks and months and years and sometimes decades of living within the limitations of a life that's dictated to us by circumstances or emotions rather than living in the victorious, abundant life that God has provided us. You know, you've heard the phrase carnal Christian. You can be a Christian and still be carnal. Paul talked about it in 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. And sometimes we would think of a carnal Christian as a person that is involved in heavy, deep, terrible sin. Or just a bunch of nagging sins, just a, a, a person that is entrenched in sin. But I'm going to tell you a, a better way to look at carnality. The word carnal, it simply refers to relating to the physical realm. Carnal just means physical. A carnal Christian, yes, it could be somebody that's living in sin, not dealing with sin, but a carnal Christian can also be someone who's living a life fixated in the physical realm. A carnal Christian makes their decisions based entirely on what they see, what they feel, what they touch, what they taste, what they smell, what we've heard. See, when Christians choose to depend upon the five senses as their deciding factors for addressing life's choices, you set yourself up to be an easy target of the liar and the accuser of the brethren. See, Satan knows if he can just get you to believe that your battle is being waged 
in your flesh or within the fleshly rim around you, he has you beat. In fact, you're doing the job for him. He'll keep you down as you try human remedy after human remedy. After you, after you try this self-help, but he's all about you finding self-help because you're staying focused on the fruit rather than the root. And he is keeping you in this uh, spiral as you're missing the cure that God's provided. So this breastplate of righteousness, what are we looking at? What are we talking about? Let me mention these. Uh, these are not on the screen, so you'll have, to, you'll have to do it the old-fashioned way. Back in the old days, you'll have to just listen, all right? Uh, number one, we're, we're talking about imputed righteousness. Uh, so far, again, we've looked at this first piece of armor, the belt of truth. And after the belt of truth, he gives us this breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness simply means being or doing what is right. So when you got saved, Jesus declared, because of Jesus' work, God has declared you're right. You're right standing with him. We who are enemies, we're now peace with God. And so that's our position. And then it's about this matter of being, being right. So the belt of truth comes before righteousness because there can't be righteousness apart from truth. Truth is the standard righteousness, this matter of being right or doing right, reveals how to work out that standard. So there are two sides to this righteousness. It's being side and doing side. On the being side, again, this is the focus of this morning's messages, the, the justification, the declaration by God, what God does when you and I get saved. This being righteousness has been imputed to everyone who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus on the cross, he did the work of redemption. And when we take that by faith, then legal, divine legal justification comes into play. You say, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty. I am a guilty sinner. Of course you are. Or there would be no need to declare your righteousness right standing before God. If you were not a sinner, you would not need his saving. But when you recognize he's right, you're wrong, put your trust in him, then you get the benefits that come with the son. And so it's this matter of being. It's the imputed righteousness. So when God looks at you, he sees you equal to his son. Amen. He sees you equal to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that ought to cheer you up out of a depressed, a moody moment that God see, he, he must not be looking at me. No, he is. He's looking at you through his son. Because that's the legal declaration. So when Satan comes and accuses you of things that are true, you blew it. You're a mess. You're, you have no reason to ever be a part of God's family. Well, sure, he's right. But so is God when God says it's already a done deal. He took the gift. He gets the benefits. He's been declared righteous and there's been imputed righteousness so that God sees you and I 
equal as to his son. He doesn't just see someone who's been forgiven of their sins. He sees someone who has kept the full standard of righteousness. You say, I, I didn't really do that. No, but he's declared it to be so. See, imputing righteousness can be compared to God crediting your account or putting money in your bank. But I didn't earn it. No, but he put it there. The money now belongs to you. No one can take it away from you. Even Satan cannot take away that credit that God has placed into your account. Once you're saved, Satan can do nothing to change your righteous standing before God, your justification, the declaration by God. It can never be changed. You can listen to Satan's lies, but he can't change it. So that's the being side. But this Righteousness is also about the doing side. This imputed righteousness has a doing because Satan cannot take away your imputed righteousness. What he tries to do is restrict some of your personal practice of righteousness. He knows he can't take away your standing before God. So he looks for a way to break your fellowship with God. By causing a breach between your position and your practice. And so this righteousness, if we're going to understand the breastplate of righteousness, we have to understand this imputed righteousness that has something to do with our being, position, and our doing. That's our practice. But number two, if we're going to understand this breastplate of righteousness, then we've got to understand something else. How to get clean. How to get clean. Sin manifests itself in many different areas, different varieties. There are overt sins, O-V-E-R-T. Those are things done outwardly through our actions. There are covert sins. They take place in our mind, our heart, our emotions. Then there are sins of commission. That's doing things that the Bible says we should not do. And then there's sins of omission, not doing the things that the Bible says we ought to do. In James 4, 17, James says to him that knoweth to do good, doeth it not. To him it is sin. And one of the major problems is identifying and addressing sin and recognizing the standard that we measure it against. And so when we take sin issue and we measure it against the popular opinion, it may cause us to think less about it than what God sees it to be. So like truth, truth, which includes information, facts. But remember, we said the other night, truth also includes the intention behind the information and facts. In other words, if we just are settling with truth and just we have some facts and we don't see the motive and the intent, we're going to miss truth in the inner man. So it is with righteousness. Righteousness includes more than just right behavior. Righteousness includes the motivation behind doing right or the motivation 
for not doing wrong behavior. See, in fact, a person can literally do the right thing and yet be contaminated in sin because they have the wrong motivation. Maybe the motivation is pride, a form of self-righteousness. Or maybe the motivation is fear, knowing that doing the wrong thing will lead to severe consequences. And, and yet we're doing the right thing, but the motive is, is wrong. Remember, you've heard the illustration of the young boy who's told by the teacher to sit down. He didn't want to sit down, but he knew that he'd suffer consequences if he didn't. So he sat down, yet in his heart he said, I'm still standing on the inside, even though I'm sitting on the outside. And unlike the teacher cannot see the boy's heart, God does see deep within inside of us. We might be doing the right thing on the outside, but sometimes it's not right on the inside. And, and that's why Paul, again, this matter of Galatians, in fact, it's not just coincidence that these things are lining up. It's the whole Bible. The Bible fits this way. He's not about us getting into performance and saying, well, it looks fine on the outside. You remember there was a group in Jesus' day who focused that way. They were known as the Pharisees. But they were missing reality. A lot of us would be surprised if we learned to view sin the way God views our sin. For example, there's, there's many, but here's an example. 1 John 3 and verse 15. Do you know that what God equates hatred with? Murder. Murder. Apparently... I've gone to church with a lot of convicted felons. Many not even aware of the gravity of their sin. From time to time I come across some who left here and just recently came across one who did everything they could not to talk to me, not to even look at me. And it's like... We're, we're, we're playing shadow boxing with our eyes there and, and, and right there. And, and I think, how, how miserable a soul that is motivated or allowing to be eaten up with whatever. I can't control how people operate, but I can focus on what I allow within my life and inner man. And, and I have to realize that if there's ever a hatred or a less than a love for somebody, I am entering into what God looks at to be equivalent to if there was murder. See, the point that God is, is making there is while we may not physically murder someone, what he's saying is, I know what you would do if you could do it without any fear of consequences. That's why he says over in Matthew 5, if a man looks upon a woman to lust after her, 
He said, you've committed adultery with her already in your heart. Just because you feel like you're good, you didn't go that far. And because you feel good that you didn't pull the trigger and kill somebody, you pull the trigger, shoot somebody, not out of self-defense. You kill them, it's murder. You don't kill them, it's attempted murder. What God is saying is your hatred for somebody, I see it because I see what's in your heart. If you could do what you wanted to do and get away with it, it matters not what is happening on the outside. Side. That's why when someone thinks that victory is my holding my tongue, not giving you the peace of my mind, not knocking you out when I feel like it, you call that victory. That's not victory. That's sheer frustration. That's exactly how the devil wants you to live. So keeping us aware of our own sin is one of Satan's strategies in spiritual warfare. Now the Holy Spirit will do it. He'll convict you, and so will Satan. The difference between the conviction is when the Holy Spirit convicts you, he gives you hope. He can do something about it. Satan convicts you so that you'll get discouraged about it. And one of Satan's strategies in spiritual warfare is to get us to be unaware of our sin. And he'll get us to focus on a different aspect of it if we do become aware of it, but he wants to keep us unaware of our sin because he knows that if we become aware of it, we're going to want to do something about it, such as confessing that sin. However, when we confess the sinner in our lives, God's given us a tremendous promise. You remember 1 John 1, 9? If you haven't yet memorized 1 John 1, 9, one of the very basic verses to victory in the Christian life is 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, and the word confess does not mean to say the words, I have sinned. The word confess is a compound word. It simply means to say the same thing as it's homologia. And it is to say the same thing about our sin that God says about it. If we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God's not only faithful, to his promise. He's faithful to his promise of giving us forgiveness and cleansing. So when we agree with God about our sin, he's faithful to his promise, but he's also just, it says. He's just toward his son because of what his son did and purchasing, redeeming us. God is able to come through and give us cleansing and forgiveness of our sin, meaning we will not be condemned. You can never go to hell as a child of God. You can never be judged. When you and I as a child of God sin, God does not judge us for our sin. Oh, he may chasten, he may spank. He's not judging us. Why? Because Jesus was judged for our sin 2,000 years ago. Ago, and Jesus said, it is finished. And so we get to go and get clean, not cleaner, clean. When he says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful to his promise, faithful and just, just toward his son who purchased the even opportunity and ability for our cleansing and forgiveness. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from 
all unrighteousness. Do you know what that means? That means when you and I just as a child of God, you don't get saved again, but you and I get right with God. We come and we agree with God. God, you're right. That is hatred that did put you on the cross. God, you're right. That is bitterness. That is blaming somebody else for the sin that I, that I allow and the seething of that sin in my life. God, you're right. That is an absence of joy. And what we're doing is we're taking God's side on this. And when we take God's side, God cleans us. And when he cleans us, he forgives and cleanses from all unrighteousness, meaning he makes us as right with him as Jesus is. You and I, no matter how dirty, how much you failed as a child of God, how much you blew it, the breastplate of righteousness is allowing us to understand the concept we can be as right with God as Jesus. Amen. How? Somewhat the same way it was when you got saved. You come back to God's side. At salvation, it was an event like marriage. You get married, it's a one-time event. But to have a happy marriage, it's going to take ongoing events of getting right with the one you were united with. When you and I got saved, we took God's side and he declared us to have that positional righteousness forever in the Christian life. However, we're in need of practical righteousness and the devil is wanting to keep you unaware of sins that's robbing you of that relationship and vibrancy with God. But God's reminding us 1 John 1, 9 is there and don't ever go to God and say, God, I'm so sorry, I'm having to use this promise. No, you're not twisting God's arm to clean you. God wants you to be clean and he he doesn't clean you reluctantly. It's just that we confess reluctantly because of our positional righteousness in Jesus. You can maintain relational righteousness before God at all times. How? By confessing, agreeing with God about your sin. Why? Because it's his job of keeping you clean. There's, a, there's another passage. I'm sitting here thinking, looking at my time, and I don't get this in. We'll pick it up later. But I want you to go over to Zechariah 3. Zechariah 3. That's the part of your Bible where your pages are stuck together. So I'm going to give you a moment to get over there. Genesis, Exodus, Zechariah. And so you might want to start in Matthew, actually, and go backwards. And because we read about a similar thing taking place. Now, used to, Dr. Childs would just tell you what page number it was in your Schofield Bible, but I neither have that, and, and many of you wouldn't either, but some of you, you've passed it 10 times already. I know. <laughs> That's why we want to get those training wheels on our Bibles, right? Those tabs there. All right. Uh, Brother Cherry, he can throw it up there if I, I wish I should have just told you that in the first place, but I want you to unstick those pages. And uh, in Zechariah 3, we're reading a similar thing. There's a preacher named Joshua. He came before the Lord with dirty clothes on. 
He came before God in unrighteousness. He didn't do like many of us do and try to hide his dirty clothes from God. He didn't try to persuade God to believe that his clothes really weren't as dirty as they appeared. We're going to see here in a moment. He simply stood before God in his dirty clothes in his unrighteousness. Look at verses 1 through 5. And he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. And look who's there. And Satan standing at his right hand to do what? Resist him. Have you ever felt that way? And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with change of raiment. And I said, let them set a fair miter upon his head. So they set a fair miter upon his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord stood by. See what's happening. There's a lot of things happening here. But God responded to Joshua's dirty clothes. And the reason why I wanted us to try to turn there is so you could have this and you can go back to this and remember, this is in the spiritual realm. This is happening. You just don't always see what Satan is doing, what's happening. And Satan wants to keep you from seeing just how dirty our clothes are before God. And God responds, however, to Joshua's honesty and responds to his dirty clothes. And he also, that is, God responds to Satan's accusation. How? By removing Joshua's iniquity and covering him instead with clothes that are designed for a unique, a special purpose, kind of a celebratory robe. Joshua hadn't done anything to deserve these festive robes. God gave him these robes out of his mercy. In like manner, Satan, when he accuses you, just stand there before God in all honesty. Stand there before God in transparency and let God do what God longs to do. And that is not just demonstrate to you that that positional righteousness which you received at salvation didn't go away, but let him show to you how you and I can experience and maintain the experience of practical righteousness. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10. And Brother Jerry, if you can pull this one up, Revelation 12 and verse number 10. It tells us that Satan accuses us day and night. And I heard a loud voice in heaven. Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Satan's number one hobby is to accuse you and to accuse me of the wrong things we've ever done or thought. 
That's one of his hobbies. Yet confessing our sin to God and receiving his forgiveness will restore our practice of righteousness. And it brings us back into alignment, listen, with our position of righteousness. See, we underestimate the power of coming clean with God. And I really believe that. That is one of the things we underestimate is the full power of coming clean with God. Too often our prayers, here's what they focus on. They focus on how God can bless me. How God can take care of me. How God can protect me. How God can deliver me. But God has given us the key, the key to victory, to blessing, to protection, to guidance, to his care in our life. And it's through this critical exercise of confession. It is coming clean. Getting clean. He didn't ask you to clean yourself. He just asked you to trust him with truth. Get honest. He makes us not cleaner than you were, but clean. As clean as the moment you got saved. As clean as Jesus Christ. See, doing wrong is wrong. Sin is sin. However, unconfessed sin. Not just talking about the facts, but talking about the intent and the motive. Talking about the entirety of it. The essence of it. Unconfessed sin breeds an even greater environment for defeat to continue. Not only that, but it breeds an environment that demons will want to hang out in. Let me explain it this way. Having trash in your house is a bad thing. But when it's not kept in a container and then taken out and emptied regularly, it can become a worse thing. Trash or food left out on the counters on the floor, it's going to breed an environment for unwanted guests, roaches, and other critters. It's almost like putting down a welcome mat for your new guests. The roaches will invite their cousins and make themselves at home in your trash. And similarly, demons make themselves at home in your unconfessed sin. Whether that sin is being committed or just remains around residually because you never thoroughly addressed it and dealt with it through repentance. That's what confession is. First John 1, 9, agreeing with God is repenting. It's changing your mind about what you say about it, what you think about it to agree with what God sees and says it to be. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 7, Paul deals with this mystery of lawlessness. It's an access principle, this hidden principle. It underscores the, the truth that we wrestle in the invisible realm and that even our battle may be manifested in, in the visible realm. It may be. 
But instead of confessing and removing the sin or unrighteousness from our lives, instead of getting down and dealing with the very essence of sin, that which is defiling, that which is disrupting my, my practice of righteousness, it doesn't change my salvation. I can't lose the position, but it disrupts my, my practice of righteousness. Again, why is this so significant? Because it allows, it allows for the demonic work, the, the invisible activity where the real battle, the real enemy exists, it allows him a, a foothold, a stronghold, an entrance into our life. And so instead of confessing, removing sin, I mean really going at it, digging in, getting deep. Think about this. Years ago, you heard about protracted revival meetings. I mean, years ago, in the lifetime of some of you, they didn't have Sunday to Wednesday meetings. No, they had Sunday to Friday, five-week long meetings. Amen. I mean, men like Oliver B. Green and, and uh, 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 Bob Jones Sr. And, and Mordecai Ham and Billy Sunday. I mean, they were digging. And they didn't just preach one message a night, six days a week, uh, five, four or five weeks. No, they were preaching three times a day. Why? Because they recognize the matter that needed to be dealt with so that we can get back to practicing righteousness that matches the positional righteousness. And what they're doing is trying to keep us from doing this. Here's what I'm getting at. If we don't get down to the very essence of dealing with sin, the inner man dealing with the essence of it, the motive, the intent, the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. What we tend to settle with is trash management. We're just managing trash. That's why we've got the Conquer series and the seven pillars and things such as this. And this is what discipleship is intending to go after. It's, it's what you and I think about all this is not the issue. It's what God says about it. And just doing trash management, it can also, we can refer to it as soul management. Now, I'm not going to get all this in, I don't think, but I, I want to find a, a landing point. It just... It, it, I see where I'm going and it gets gooder and gooder. And, and, uh, and so I, wanna, I want you to get this so I can cut it off. And, but when we're just in managing things, like uh, it, it's almost like um, you're bartering with God. God, I'll give you that look of adultery over there. And uh, you, you, you give me this, this area of bitterness. You leave that one alone. Because it really wasn't. I didn't start it. They started it. See, Bible confession isn't bartering with God which ones you're going to agree with him about. And by the way, I think he died for all of them. And so all of it is an offense against him. And what happens is when you get into that, it's soul management. We want to manage things. We want to move stuff here, just here, hide stuff here, so we don't have to appear too trashy. The truth is, we're trashy. Yeah. You say, well, that doesn't really sound like you're going to get a book deal out of this one. But it's like getting an unexpected guest when you don't have the time to clean up your house all the way. So you just stuff things here, move things here, and clean things here. And uh, you put it under the bed, and your house looks clean to your guests. But the mess is still there that attracts the roaches. 
because you haven't removed the root. And we love meetings. We love revival meetings. We love things like that. But as long as we can just move stuff around, we feel like, man, we did something. We moved around and I made a resolution here, a commitment here. I took a challenge here. But why are the roaches still hanging out? Or you might do what I sometimes do in our house. I'm responsible for the trash detail. So my wife lets me know trash in the kitchen, it's stinking. And so I, I, I sometimes don't put it in the truck and take it to the trash can. I, I have another step in between. I take it to the garage. I take it to the garage and it buys me a day or two or few. Until my wife, she is a great trash nose detector. And she says, sometimes the kitchen's still stinking, but there's no trash in there. That's because it's coming from the garage. That's why. And what happens is hidden sin leaves its stench in and throughout our lives. And it gives Satan and his demons a warm welcome to make themselves at home in it. Now, two things happen in spiritual warfare when the breastplate of righteousness is not being worn. The breastplate is that practicing righteousness that matches the positional righteousness. And how can I maintain that practicing right? Well, by confessing, by just staying clean, getting clean. When I get dirty, get clean. And, and a couple things happen in our spiritual warfare when that breastplate of righteousness not, is not warm. First of all, an invitation is sent out to fellow demons. Hey, here's the next hangout place. Because they know they can hang out in, in your territory. And the second thing that happens when you're not putting on that breastplate of righteousness is the movement of God is hindered within your life and through your life because there's a break in your fellowship with God. I don't want to tell you, moms and dads, this is much more serious than it just affecting you. You become that conduit that allows the demonic activity to get in and get to your children because God doesn't abide in darkness. And you're allowing darkness where the evil one comes in. You still with me for a few more moments? I think if I keep saying that, I can drag it out and actually finish it. But just, but let me get this part in because I think that this is, there's, there's something to this. We've got to feed our, not only do we have to know how to be, get clean, we've got to get clean. That's a, Christy's saying, search me, oh God. That was the words David prayed Search me, O God, and know my heart. He was saying, yes, here's what I've done. But I want you to get deeper than what I've done. I want you to get down to the very essence of sin. And I believe when we begin to justify and put the spin on it, God's just backing up out of the whole. We don't want God to back up. No, no. Draw nigh to God. He will draw nigh to you. What does he say? How do you draw nigh? Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. But when we start saying, but God, it really wasn't that. Be, I, yeah, I give, yes, that one, that was very clear. I did, do, but I didn't do this over here. I believe that's you backing away from God and God backing away from you. But when you get serious, I need God and God wants you. You need him and he wants you. And he says, draw near, I'll be there. And you've got to cleanse your hands as sinners and purify your heart. All right. Once we get the cleaning down, then there's another matter, and that is you've got to feed. You've got to feed your spirit. 
An important point to note about the breastplate of righteousness is what it's designed to protect. What is it protecting? Your vital organs. Namely, the one that's mentioned often in the Bible we refer to as our heart. Proverbs 4.23, guard, protect your heart with all diligence. Why? Because out of it are the issues of life. Why should we protect our hearts? Because the only reason the rest of us works is due to our heart. This heart stops. Everything else stops. But that's true in the spiritual realm as well. As the heart is the physical pump controlling the flow of blood throughout our body, our heart, our essence, our core, it's that spiritual pump that God uses to infuse life into us. So when that breastplate of righteousness is not on, it begins to allow Satan to interfere. Namely, he's getting our mind on just seeing the physical, forgetting the spiritual, and he makes us unaware of the seriousness of our sin so that we're not getting clean. And the demonic activity is getting comfortable and gaining a stronghold within our life. And when that happens, we also then are not tending to our heart. See, once you trust Christ for salvation, you're made new with his righteousness. That's 2 Corinthians 5, 17. But keep in mind, we are made up as a tripart being. Body, what's the next one? Soul, what's the next one? Spirit. Now here's where I'm going to stop, but I want to get this part to you and just jar our thinking. Sometimes we talk as if our soul is the part of us that was made new at salvation. So we say something like this, Jesus saved my soul, but he didn't. He's saving our soul. That's why salvation, it's a past, present, and an ongoing event. I was saved. I'm being saved. And one day I will forever be saved in that final work of redemption. But the truth is, my soul, it's in, that, it's in the process of being saved. That's called sanctification. The thing that was immediately made new when you and I got saved, it wasn't our soul, nor was it our body. Our soul would be our mind, heart, emotions, and will. It's the real us. Our soul did not completely get saved, transformed in that sense. You say, I, I don't agree with that. Well, let me ask you, anybody sinned this week? And that's the soul. The soul was the part of that. But when you get to heaven, it won't sin anymore because it'll be completely saved. So what got saved it wasn't the body, was it? Now that's why we'll get a new one one day. Yeah. It'll still be short for Rick. I just know it. it's not going to be as, as great as what he's thinking there. But I just I love Brother Rick. It was the spirit. 
not the soul. The soul, again, is in the process. That's why you can be a Christian and still be an addict. That's why you can be a Christian and still be angry. That's why you can be a Christian and still be depressed. See, your soul, your mind, will, emotions, your soul is distorted. It's telling your body what to do. That's why Paul says in Romans 6, don't yield your members as instruments unto sin. He's telling you, your soul, you tell your body what to do. Stop letting your body tell you what to do. Why? Because the soul is not automatic. See, Satan wants you to think that your soul is what was made new so that you'll believe that in order to gain victory in the spiritual realm, you just need to focus on, listen, managing your mind, managing your will managing your emotions so you can get your body in line. Now, he wants you to think that way because he knows you'll never be able to fix what your body does on its own. He, he, your real problem is an unsanctified soul. In other words, the, the, the real problem is still me. And... and, and Though the victory is won, it's still a battle there. That's why in heaven, there'd be no battle. See, the work of the spirit, when you and I got saved, it was our spirit was the, died. It, it, it died and was made new. We received a new spirit. That new spirit, the spirit of God lives within, lives within that new spirit. And that new spirit within you is designed to pump life into the soul so that eventually your new spirit becomes the dominant influencer in what you feel, what you think, and what you do. See, what religion does, however, is try to change a person from the outside. Focuses on body. That's uh, discipline a lot of times. Don't do this, do this. Or focuses entirely on the soul. Self-help. Religion tells us we will be victorious if we go to church more, be better people, give more, serve more, worship more, deny ourselves more, sing louder, try harder. But those things simply produce more and more, listen to me, weary defeated, listen to me, carnal, but consecrated, carnal Christians, carnal, focusing just on the physical and visible realm. Authentic victory, real victory is what happens, listen, on the inside. And God's design from the very beginning was inside out. I will stop there and we're going to repeat and review and refresh this before we move on. But you've got to understand, you have to focus. Now, I'm not, I am not saying you just let everything go on the outside. No, 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 not, not at all. Um, I am all about some trash management Soul management where it's needed. Um, I, if you are a murderer, I am very comfortable with you not walking around and uh, while angry, holding a gun. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable with some soul management where needed. But if we're going to really get to true victory, 
We've got to focus on that inner man. And it's not soul management. It's soul transformation, restoration. And that's what the breastplate of righteousness is protecting. Let's stand together, please, and we'll get more into this at a later time.